Before we get to this week's episode, I want to remind you about Digiday Plus. This is our membership program. If you want to read more than four articles a month, we're going to ask you um, very politely um, but insistently that you sign up to Digiday Plus. And to get you over the line, I have a special discount offer. Um, and that is you get three months of Digiday Plus for only $49. My God, $49. Um, just go to digiday.com slash subscribe and enter intro at checkout. That is I-N-T-R-O. Now, on to the episode. In the game of subscriptions, there's the high-end publishers like the New York Times making a play for scale, and some like the Wall Street Journal, which are banking on corporate credit cards. Barstool Sports is not for everyone, but it has legions of rabid fans, aka stoolies. Barstool CEO Erica Nardini joins me this week. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's episode, I speak with Erica about Barstool's audacious goal to reach $100 million in revenue in just 18 months. Really, she says it. She promises us. Erica, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. When you were on uh, a couple years ago, um, you talked about you know you can't build like an advertising supported business these days on the internet. Yeah. Um, and that, that, definitely, that definitely played out. Yeah. Explain a little bit, because I, I think Barstool, I've always thought it's an interesting example of a, of a modern media company that people say, oh, scale's dead and stuff like this, but that has extreme loyalty. Mm-hmm. Explain how you measure that kind of loyalty for people who are not immersed in the Barstool world. Sure. So mostly we feel it, and I know that doesn't sound quantifiable. We... We are on the internet all the time as a company. One of the things that's really different, I think, about us is that when we make content, we then go talk about that content and our audience reacts to that content pretty instantaneously. So we have a good instant feel of if the joke lands or if it doesn't or if something is interesting or it's not. Um, And one of the reasons that's important and what's different about Barstool in that is that our our personalities spend a lot of time talking to our fans about the content that they make. Our fans give us content that we then promote in, in adjacency to the original piece of content that we created. So we see the reaction on Twitter primarily. We see it on Instagram, most definitely. We see it in comments on our blogs. We see it with people like you, whereby if we're promoting you know, Dave's interview in Digiday, you'll see the comments and interaction around our retweeting of his article exponential to what you would find from yeah. a traditional media company. I mean, we're a small publication, mm-hmm. but like, I think Dave's tweet was uh, like our number two referral I'm sure. yeah. that day. Yeah. Um, and we see that it's not just Digiday. We see that with NASCAR. We saw it at the Super Bowl. Like we see that in, in mainstream culture when Dave, Dave in particular, but also Dan Katz, like w- when they engage around a topic, Sunday night's Game of Thrones. Our guys had so many comments about Sunday night's Game of Thrones. They had, one of them had 32,000 likes, mm-hmm. thousands of retweets. So there's just an, a very instantaneous reaction that we see primarily and measure in the form of commenting and likes. Okay. My ad tech tweets do not get this kind of engagement. Yeah, I got to be honest that. with you. Yeah. How do you explain where Barstool fits? Because, I mean, it's Barstool Sports, but it's not really a sports mm-hmm. site. I mean, mm-hmm. sports are just a way to, sure. it seems to me, to, to orient the comedy. Yep. So yep. it's, it's mostly right. what? Like, 
It's a lifestyle brand. It's a comedy brand. Everyone's a lifestyle brand. They are, but we actually are. So, <laughs> you know, we we spend a lot of time on sports. Basically, what we are is, you know, one part media brand, one part influent collection of influencers, one part lifestyle brand. And when I say lifestyle brand, you know, you'll often find people wearing our clothing, buying our merch, buying our goods, coming to our events. Uh, paying for our pay-per-view. So we we behave in a traditional in a way of a traditional media company insofar as we publish content, you know, constantly. We distribute content, we monetize content. We're influencers insofar as we have a collection of personalities who run their own socials, engage in their own dialogues, come up with their own concepts, um, champion their own merch. And then, you know, we're a lifestyle brand in terms of how we're becoming more physical, whether that's appearances, whether that's, you know, things will build that will manifest themselves outside of the Internet. So that's how I really look at us. I Mm -hmm. don't think we fit neatly into any one box. And ultimately, I think that's what makes us confusing to people, but it also makes us incredibly powerful. So explain the influencer angle. Mm -hmm. I mean, influencers are talked about a lot these days, um, but a lot on the internet, I mean, people follow people Mm -hmm. rather than companies. Yeah. Personalities are the new publishers. So, you know, one of the things I think Dave and all of our creators have done, all of our personalities is when something happens with the Red Sox, if you're a Red Sox fan, you know who you care about? You care about Jared Carabas. You care what Jared Carabas has had to say, whether the Red Sox won, whether the Red Sox lost, whether they whiffed a play. Our fans look to our talent's reaction around the things they jointly care about. And what's different about our quote-unquote influencers, which I agree with you is kind of buzzwordy. It's like mm-hmm. an annoying term. but Well, people think about it as... as, as uh, people uh, taking like selfies and, and yeah. Dumbo and stuff yeah. like this. And we're, we're not, you know, we're not modeling a bunch of right. clothes in front of walls yeah. in Los Angeles. But what 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 we are doing is when we have a reaction or our personalities have a reaction to something, one, people look for it. Two, they wait for it. Three is that they engage. It, it creates a firestorm where there it, there's joint engagement around something. What's really at at Barstool's core, what's very different, is Barstool never professed to be professional journalists or experts or authorities on anything. What they professed to be was fans, mm-hmm. and they were fans of sports, and they were now increasingly were fans of comedy, and now increasingly were fans of entertainment. And so, when you are talking to a person and a fan talking in the same way around the same thing, it creates more conversation. And, and why I think that's important is, you know, one of the things about Barstool is no one's riding up on a white horse to help Barstool Sports. And we have had to create organic real estate for ourselves every single place that we can. So we've, you know, we're doing it on Twitch. We're doing it on TikTok. We're doing it on Snapchat. We're doing it on Instagram, obviously, and on Facebook. The amount of the commenting and engagement around a single piece of content, that's what beats an algorithm, mm-hmm. right? So Facebook can do, you know, I was just reading the Wired article on the way in this morning, like Facebook will manipulate their algorithm to do 
whatever they feel that they're what is mm-hmm. in their best interest with that algorithm. But what the algorithm ultimately cares about, whether it's a friend's post or a publisher's post or a piece of content, is the engagement around that piece of content. And that's what we create. That's what our audience brings. When we do something, whether our fans love it or hate it, they'll talk about it. But I mean, Facebook also decides what is good engagement and, and not good mm-hmm. engagement. I mean, algorithms all do. I'm yeah. just using Facebook. So while that's true, at, at some point, like an algorithm can just decide, well, that's not um, that's not healthy. You know, mm-hmm. Twitter, for instance, these days is talking about at least uh, Jack Dorsey is talking mm-hmm. about a lot about like healthy discourse sure. and stuff like this. So they could just decide, yeah. you know, that's not uh, that's not, quote unquote, healthy engagement. Yeah. I mean, so do you think the kind of like brand you're building is sort of algorithm proof or is it just everyone at some point is, is, um, you know, has to be under the sway of algorithms? No, I mean, we don't, if you were to ask 90% of the people at Barstool, I'm not even sure they would like understand what an algorithm actually does. So (laughs) we're not, yeah, we're not, we're not orienting ourselves to, to the machine. What we want to do is to create content that we feel is great and that our fans like, and that we can build a business around. Right. Um, So with influencers, Mm -hmm. you know, with these personalities and stuff like this, that's, it's a double-edged sword, Mm -hmm. right? Because these people then become, you know, like you said, they're, they're kind of media brands of Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, and then they get agents. Yeah, and, totally. We live that every day. So you're yeah. like negotiating it's with CIA and stuff business. like this. Totally. Yeah. Um, so how has that changed your role? It's changed. I, I think it's changed a lot. Where you know when when Dave Portnoy started Barstool, you know it was just him, and then it was him and one other, and then you know when I in 2016 there were probably under 15 people. I would say um, nobody had agents. Dave for a long time paid them in personal checks. Like it was really <laughs> small. And now, you know. Now you got the lawyers. Now in. we got the lawyers and the agents and the agendas. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on it. We want to be a great, you know, I think there's nobody better than Barstool if you want to be made famous. Like we can catapult you. We do a great job of. So you don't want to just find existing no, personalities. Not a, I, I you actually want, want the them. opposite. So yep. give me an example of like a personality that, um, you know, was entered into the sort of barstool system and then became a lot bigger. Sure. I mean, it, it's pretty prevalent across the board. If you look at Brandon Walker, Brandon Walker uh, was sponsored by my bookie and had a Periscope show live every day at 6 p.m. Talks about gambling. We got into scrap with my bookie about um, we got into a scrap with my bookie that Dave did, and Brandon Walker went live at six o'clock that night, and he was he was electric. He had a show. He was he was talking to stoolies. He was reacting to stoolies. And at that time, maybe he had six thousand followers. I don't know the exact number. I checked yesterday. He has thirty thousand followers, okay. so he has quadrupled. And that story go and will make. You know, we'll do longer shows with Brandon. We'll do blogs with Brandon. We'll build gambling franchises around Brandon. Same's true. You know, you look at you. You really look at any personality that we have raised in our system. What's different about how we grow them is one is we're very different than a traditional company, whereby people 
typically come to a traditional company and they're told what to do, what to write, what to publish, when to show up, what set to go to, which way to look at the camera, what the script says. We don't do any of that. We basically have people show up and we say, here's a computer, here's a camera, here's a microphone, and maybe you get an editor and go make something. Mm -hmm. And so it enables us to understand pretty quickly who succeeds and who fails because there's so much self-initiative in creating that. And in we're not an over we're we're an underproduced company, not an overproduced company, and I think that's partly why you're seeing such growth from us. Right. I appreciate that you didn't use the word authentic, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but um, authentic what influence. Yeah. So what, what comes with with authenticity is controversy, obviously. I yep. mean, you're. It's a regular part of the barstool thing. Of totally. Like you know, I see it's you like, like the six question. You like yeah. pop up every now and again, yeah. like having yeah. to answer for some sort of controversy sure. that that has um, ignited. But I actually want to use this to talk about revenue diversification mm-hmm. um, because. You know, I think one of the advantages of of Barstool is that it has intense engagement among mm-hmm. its um, its core fan base. Um, but at the same time, like in order to get that engagement, it has to be quote unquote authentic mm-hmm. um, in a way that sort of precludes against it becoming a very large advertising business. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times people now are talking about diversifying away from advertising, but it helps if you'd never had that choice. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's hard. I was talking to someone yesterday. We were talking about Vice, actually, and how I had a conversation with someone at Vice once, and I asked them to uh, talk about their customer. And the person that they described was an advertiser. When they they correlated the Uh word customer with advertiser, which is not... That's not well, a knock that's on. That's kind of true. It's very common. Like the, if you well, ask anyone. Because usually that, you're, you're aggregating an audience to sell them to correct, your real customer. Correct. That's how the business, that's how the media business, digital or otherwise, has run. Our business is very different in that when we say customer, we mean a fan. And we think about, hey, how can we get more of the share of their feed? How can we get... You know, how can we make them a T-shirt that they'll love? How do we build a subscription product that they'll want to subscribe to? How do we make a pay-per-view event that they'll think is funny and a good investment to watch? So when I got to Barstool, I in 2016, I... It's like, what, three years ago? Yeah, three years ago. I I actually thought we could be more mainstream than, than I would say I feel now. You know, I spent... That, that first year and a half, I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, one, how do we get into video? Two, how do we get into live? Three, how do we get into, you know, how do we produce more content that, how do we get podcast podcasting up and running, video up and running, and live up and running? We then, I then set my sights or started to think a lot about other people's air. So how would you, how could Barstool live on Sirius XM or Comedy Mm. Central or ESPN or Fox or NBC? And there was a lot of learnings. It was painful in some ways, but there were a lot of learnings in that. The biggest learning was, is, is that most companies are not as unafraid and honest and oriented to the consumer as we are. And when you are oriented to advertisers, solely oriented to advertisers, for example, it changes what your tolerance is and it makes you it makes you risk adverse. It makes you think about what's politically correct or acceptable to your buyer. And 
what I buyer meaning the advertiser. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, can you run a detergent ad next to this? Yeah. And what it just lurks everywhere. It lurks everywhere. You can't avoid it. And to be honest with you, I spent you know seventeen years working in it. So like, I, I get it. I came from that. But what I love about Barstool is that it's just infinitely a consumer brand. And so as a result, like we have a very healthy advertising business. We have a very healthy uh, commerce business. We're building a subscription business. We're building a live events business. Uh, We're building a pay-per-view business. I wanted zero dependency because the minute we become dependent on one platform or one advertiser or one partner, we're screwed because it will change it will change and cloud. It will make us think twice before we do yeah. something. And I also, I mean, I, I bring up the controversies uh, also because, like, you know, these are a feature, not a bug. Correct. Right? I Correct. mean, this is yeah, like that's a great way to describe the, it. Yeah. This is all part of yeah. the, the when we tick somebody show. off, our fans react 10x what they normally, you know, the way they normally would. So, yeah, and then you'll get advertiser boycotts. Correct. And look, it, anytime sick, we write secular. about you guys, I get like I get a handful of tweets from people. Why are you promoting? Yeah, don't these promote people? Like sports, this is totally. you know, and I think that's part of it. So, when you were on here uh, two years ago, you had said advertising was less than half of the revenue. Where mm-hmm. is it now? It's over half. So I would say advertising is probably 55%. Okay. You know, 50, is, that under- a good, is that a good sort of manageable level? Yeah. Yep. But I would guess, but maybe not. Um, I would have thought that the other parts of the, the sort of D to C parts we're, of the we're business. We're playing bingo today. <laughs> I would should think create a drinking they, game for your I, podcast. I would think that it's a little early. But <laughs> coffee. Um, I would think that those parts of the business were, were growing faster. We are seeing tremendous demand to advertise with Barstool. Okay, so now, we, now we've taken a turn. We're back yeah. to advertising. It's not our orientation, but what brands are finding is that if they want to reach an 18 to 34-year-old and to move product, we are an exceptionally good bet. Okay. Because Stoolies respond. So our orientation hasn't changed. We will always have a diverse revenue stack and we'll continue to build new revenue stacks and new revenue drivers at the company. But... You can't deny the results. And what we're seeing is when we say, hey, we're partnered up with Cash App, Stoolies download Cash App. When we partner with Thursday Boots Company, it starts as an ad deal. This is a good example. Like, starts as an what ad is deal. Thursday Boots? I don't know. Like an internet yeah. uh, footwear company. Okay. You so know, these are different types of advertisers than like the sort of kind of advertisers you were going at previously. I mean, in not career, really. Right? Devour Foods. Like, Devour okay. is like craft. You know, is like, hey, I need young guys to buy frozen pizzas. How am I going to get people to buy frozen pizzas? You know what? You're going to need a brand that that breaks through. And I think what's happening on the Internet is there's less content that's differentiated and breaks through. We have content that will break through. We are very committed to over delivering, you know, for our partners, but doing so in a way that resonates with our fans. So, you know, a good example is we work with Roman the, you know, ED hair loss company. And, you know, so they sponsor the podcast predictably. They advertise on the website and the app predictably. Um, We had Francis Ellis, who's one of our, you know, really talented guys, make a commercial that now Roman uses everywhere else and not just on Barstool. Hmm. Because we are funny and we understand how to 
to make it approachable to talk about ED or hair loss in a way that we find humorous. So, you know, I wouldn't say that our our orientation to advertising has changed. What I will say Mm -hmm. has changed is the demand to be adjacent to or integrated into Barstool content because people Mm -hmm. want a customer that they cannot find elsewhere is growing. How much is podcast uh, driving that? Huge part. Because you guys are are, are probably one of the bigger... Yeah, we're a juggernaut in podcasting. Um, Huge part. Talk about that a little bit, about how big that is of the mix. Podcasting is, you know, podcasting is a very big business for us. It's a significant part of our advertising revenue. And the the way I look at our podcasts is, so we have 25 podcasts. We had three podcasts, you know, three years ago or two and a half years ago. We had three. Now we have 25. Um, Podcasting is the single best way that we grow IP. So we grow brands through podcasts. We are incubating 10 additional podcasts at Barstool literally as we speak right now. Um, we believe in live reads. So as a, as a format, you know, when you, if you talk to a performance advertiser, at the top of the heap is uh, radio because mm-hmm. there is something about a host and the connection of saying, I use a product, I endorse a product and the performance of that product. And, and, Podcast advertisers, in my opinion, are extremely sophisticated. They are DR. They're maximizing audio DR. So our podcast revenue is live reads. And then what we are increasingly doing is to take brands that we've created, editorial brands and advertisers who are associated with those brands as part of live reads and making additional opportunities for those brands to sponsor that content. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're moving into a new office in, you know, hopefully two weeks. You will see, you know, every studio is sponsored by an advertiser. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. there's a primary sponsor of every studio. Those podcasts are made into videos. The sponsor trails along. Those podcasts create merch. Sometimes the advertiser's logo. logo so it's goes. both direct and then indirect. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. podcasts bigger than the website as far as revenue yet? Yeah. That's interesting. Significantly more. I mean, considering that started yeah. as a website. Yeah, for sure. Significantly more. Podcasting is a great medium. You know, I think. I if, agree. Yeah, great. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, I think if you can create scale in podcasting, it is a, it's a great business. Okay. Uh, let's talk about direct revenue. Okay. Um, the ads are doing well. Barstool Gold, which is your um, membership yep. subscription yep. offering, um, I heard it was about 25000 yep. That's paying. Those are people paying, paying every month. Or what do they get for that? They get, you know, we're tweaking, we're tweaking what's in there now, but, you know, they get... If you're a hardcore, which is the highest tier member, you get you know you get rough and rowdy. So we had our uh, we had That's our boxing of amateur boxing event. It's not bare event. knuckles, is it? No, um, <laughs> no headgear, but depend, state to state. Okay. Um, so we had a live event for rough and rowdy on Friday night, um, and this is a good example of our business overall. Like we had a live event, rough and rowdy. In- Just for those who don't know. They might not. Rough and Rowdy is this amateur boxing is um, business that you... Correct. That we acquired what? about a year and a half ago. There's a very famous video that Dave did in Barstool history where he went down to Welsh, West Virginia and videoed an, a wild amateur boxing match. 
And it was guys and girls from West Virginia fighting in jeans, fighting in work boots. These are not events happening in Brooklyn. For sure not. Okay. Yeah, for sure not. <laughs> and we love that. And every t- every city, every state has their own character. We're you know we're building characters as part of Rough and Rowdy. But NetNet, it's a live a bit live event business for us. So we sell merch at those live events. We sell tickets to the live event. We do concessions at at live events. We sell pay per view tickets to those live events. As it relates to gold, this was the first rough and rowdy that we rolled into gold. So gold members get rough and rowdy for free. That's one benefit. They get an extra podcast from our top podcasts. So every month Mm -hmm. or every week, there's a free podcast. Three, they get the video of each podcast. Um, They get an ad-free experience. They get first and early access. We create additional content for them. We have several uh, new shows which are just debuting on gold. So, you know, it's a combination of uh, more intimate access to our personalities. Two is incremental content and, and ancillary content you can't get anywhere else. Three is discounts. And then four is a, you know, an optimized user experience. Mm-hmm. How do you get the talent on board? The personalities want to get their stuff out mm-hmm. there, and that's how they build themselves. Completely. Right? Um, I would guess that this is not something that they're like, well, why would I want to like, I want everyone to see this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge tension for us, to be honest with you, whereby we, we're a company that wants to grow, is very focused on growing. And we believe that you know, if, if we can touch you with Barstool content, most chances will hook you if you're in our target audience. So to ask our talent to do things that are for, you know, behind a paywall was a change in orientation. I think what everyone appreciates is that Barstool has to remain independent. Mm-hmm. So the need for us to create a business whereby people are just subscribing to Barstool, everyone at, at our company recognizes that's important. Two is it gives our talent a way to connect with their deepest fans. So whether you're listening to Pardon My Take, you can have a Pardon My Take experience in gold. If you listen to KFC radio, you can have a KFC radio type experience in gold. But it's a it's a change for us in terms of thinking about talking more deeply and more intimately with fewer people versus mm-hmm. talking more loudly and broadly yeah. with more people. Was that helped by the the ESPN experience with, uh, what was it, Van Talk? Yeah, that, Van like, Talk. Uh, there was the deal with ESPN and then they, they scrapped yeah. it because of backlash. Yeah. And did that help yeah. in being like, hey, rally the truce, we got to do this on our own? Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, knowing that that there are... Media companies, distribution companies, technology companies, you know, that at some point will not let Barstool control its destiny creates real urgency for us to have a place where our engaged fans can connect with us directly. So, you know, I wouldn't say it was directly causal from right. the Vantoc cancellation. You know, the same way we bought Rough and Rowdy, I think the week after the ESPN cancellation. That So there were, for me and for Dave, there were really a couple of things, which is, okay, you know, we've got to do this ourselves and we need to, we need to remain independent because you never know what's going to happen. And three, we need to create our own, our, you know, create our own rights. We need to own our own IP and to build a business as best we can around those things. Mm-hmm. Talk about owning your own IP. Mm-hmm. What, what, what does that mean for Barstool? I mean, are, you're not like 
licensing shows to OTT Mm -mm. platforms or anything? Not yet, no. And we may not. We may or we may not. So, you know, when people think of Barstool, I think they think of this like monolithic brand of Barstool. But in reality, there's, you know, 30 plus brands that sit underneath Barstool, whether it's foreplay and it's golf or it's pardon my take and it's sports satire or it's one bite pizza reviews. Like we have a you know, an uncanny way of creating brands could be entertainment brands, could be sports brands, could be vertical brands, could be regional brands. We have a, a good way of building those brands underneath our network. What I'm interested in is if you look at Marvel or you look at Disney, what those companies have done is build IP and franchises and then built revenue stacks against those. We're basically doing the same thing in an internet age. And the the, the revenue stacks can be different based on the subject. 100%. Yep. Um, So talk a little bit about um, the new golf tour, the Barstool Mm -hmm. Classic. Classic. Yeah. So, you know, Riggs, who's, you know, one of our most talented guys, huge force in golf. He wanted to create, you know, America's member guest and the idea that there could be an amateur golf tournament that's fun, that's great golf, where you show up with a handicap, you spend a day golfing with your buddies and it's brought to you by Barstool. And so, you know, he came to me with that idea, I don't know, maybe two months ago, two and a half months ago. We've been, you know, we talked about it, we thought about it and you know, it launched the day after the Masters. So what we will do... Wow, is, in two months. You didn't, must not have talked oh, about it that much. Yeah, no, <laughs> we don't talk about much that much. But um, yeah, we moved fast. So it was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. We should obviously do this. Um, you know, we selected the courses. We set up the rules. Uh, we brought it to a handful of partners. Truly will be our, you know, preeminent spart- sponsor as part of the tour. And mostly what we care about is that this summer we'll do, you know, nine events whereby our fans can have an awesome day of golf. We will cover it. Riggs is the commissioner of the league. We'll create content around it. And this ties into Barstool Gold or no? Barstool Gold members got first access. Got first access. Yeah, which is kind okay. of to the But this is mostly the live events side. Live events. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, you know, we sold out within four days, okay. all nine events. So um, it'll be fun. We're excited about it. Um, and commerce has long been a part. Yeah. You guys sell, Love the t- commerce sell t-shirts. Yep. T-shirts, um, you know, getting into other things. The Thursday boot example was a good one whereby, you know, we went from having Thursday boots as an advertiser to now we're making our own custom boots with Thursday Boots. So we partner with Peter Millar. We partner with Thursday Boots Company. You know, we're partnering with a lot of different brands on collaborations and collections. Um, and then we're also creating our own merch and our own products. So, you know. Wait, you're doing collabs? We are. <laughs> <laughs> like off-white? I wish. But, um, <laughs> someday. Our, our chicks brands would love off-white. We talk about off-white a lot. We do perform for endemic apparel brands in you know particular spaces whether it's golf or it's you know working guys and so the progression of us creating joint products together we've done it with Mitchell and Ness we have probably 15 brands who we've created collaborations with um 
we're excited about it. We're also, you know, starting to design our own merchandise. We, you know, for a long time, Barstool had a great t-shirt business whereby we would take funny slogans Mm -hmm. from their blogs, from their podcasts, from their videos and make it in or from social and make it into apparel. Um, we're evolving from that where we're starting to get into hard goods. We're starting to get into hard goods. Like what? Like physical things. Should we be making fridges for your dorm room? Okay. Like, would we create glassware? Would we create soft goods, meaning non t-shirts, hats, like soft apparel? Um, it's going to be like a Barcel kegerator or something. Yeah, exactly. Which would be a good product. I think a lot of people <laughs> would buy that. But then, you know, for, you know, we've launched the Chicks brand in November and we launched Collar Daddy, Chicks in the Office. We're now building, you know, big brands in the entertainment space or lifestyle, sp- female lifestyle space. And what we found is that the t-shirt business that worked for the guys isn't yeah. necessarily what girls want. And that's pretty obvious when you look at you look at women. So now we're looking at cut and sew and how can we, you know, how can we create products that we think are fashionable and cool that our fans will want to wear and that carry our brands or new brands that we'll create. Which of these non-advertising revenue lines, like which are you most bullish on in the long term? I'm very bullish on commerce. I'm very bullish. This is a non-answer. I'm bullish on live events. So like, la- I'll give you an example. Last Really? Live events? But yeah. The knock on them is they don't I'm scale. I'm bullish on license- How many events licensing too. It's my other, is, okay. would be the third, which we have not formally gotten into, but are licensing looking really hard Licensing in what sense? You know, do we create a line of sports bars? Do we okay. create a line of pizza joint? Like you could imagine any number of things that Barstool Sports could create. Um, I think that there are, you look at Playboy, right? Like I spend a lot of time looking at Playboy, not, not cause I think our content is similar, but when you look at what the Playboy brand has done in Asia, it's fascinating. It's entirely a licensing business mm-hmm. in a market outside of the or- original market. So, um, but, ex- and a good example is this like last night. We created a tournament. We have a Viceroy program, and our Viceroy program is we have about 250-plus schools that have Barstool accounts on campus. We have about 1,000 kids, that college kids who work on those accounts. They break news. They share viral videos. They are a presence on campus that is in the Barstool tone and voice. During March Madness, two of our guys came up with the contest of best bar and we did a best bar bracket and the thing took a life of its own you had mm-hmm. the Jonas brothers you had the, everyone everyone every celebrity from Penn State rooting for Penn State we had the Michigan State people trying to tamper with the system and buy likes so this concept that we put out there didn't didn't have a whole lot of strategy into it didn't spend a whole lot of time on it created a life of its own last night there was an event you know, ECU, which is East Carolina University, has a bar called Sup Dogs. They won. We did an event at Sup Dogs last night where we had Pup Punk, which is our house band, play. T Pain played. They had a, D- a DJ from ECU play. There were probably, you know, 15,000 to 1,500 kids there. It was mm. all anyone was talking about last night at ECU. We did that wasn't a strategy. It wasn't something we like laid out in a PowerPoint right. that was good to do. It just happened. It was very organic. But what you can see if you follow it on social is how alive it was. And that's what's different about Barstool is that it's real. So um, I think the more 
chances we have to create that connection with our fans and to do something and to tap into things that are really relevant and of the moment, like that's our, that, that's a superpower that we have. Yeah. So final thing is uh, what kind of revenue growth uh, do you want this year? In 2019? Yeah, what's the goal? <laughs> it's big. I, <laughs> you know, I have our eyes on, on being a hundred million dollar revenue company. Really? Mm-hmm. This year? I don't know about this year. You got to put a time on it. I, I have a vision I of would say, being a hundred million dollar I would say within the next too. year and a half. <laughs> okay. Year and a half. Yep. You profitable yet? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. We run it tight. We don't have <laughs> really? no leader. Hey, you're going into a new office. It could be fancy. I yeah. don't know. No, it's not fancy. <laughs> Compared to the Digiday office, like you, you yeah, just this, get hepatitis yeah. walking well, into Marshall. Yes, I see our, our butler is here with yes. your Pellegrino. Yes, so exactly. I will let you go, Erica. Okay, thank thanks you for so having much. me. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Uh, this week, I have a bunch of shout outs. My God. First, uh, there is Ulf Hayden, who said, great Digiday podcast episode on the history and the basics of programmatic advertising with Mike Smith from Hearst. Hilarious wrap up. And Jeff Moriarty, uh, who said, this discussion on Programmatic by Mike Smith is a good explanation of how advertising has gotten where it is today and brings back memories of the early days of real-time bidding. And finally, there is Rich Nikas, um, who tweeted, Digiday Podcast is one of my favorites to listen to. Short and sweet. I like it. Uh, thank you, everyone. Um, if you go to iTunes or wherever you uh, listen to your podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. Helps people find this podcast. Also, if you have feedback, you can always email me. I'm Brian at Digiday, or you can tweet at me. I'm at B. Morrissey. Um, you can also, you know, send me a LinkedIn message. Some people do that. Um, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.